Welcome to Zenergy, the interactive podcast, providing resources for building a better life. I am Zen Ashe. I am a coach, a conduit, and a catalyst who launches humanity into greatness by accelerating mindset changes and replacing limitations with possibilities. So I am super excited to have a fellow author here that I actually met at a, a, will, a wellness expo um, at Groove's earlier i think it was this year or was it last year it was it was this year it was this year so um and uh you know we were there to network and get wellness tips we even played a wellness bingo and you know had panels and all those kind of things and you know so um now we're here to talk about facing fears so um say hi to the people mr simeon Beatoria. Hey everyone, my name is Simeon B. Toria. I am a life, well-being, and transformational coach. I work with people who are stuck in the habitual patterns that create suffering. So I help you find love, peace, happiness, success by living in the highest well-being, which is our mind, our body, our spirit, and our emotion. And thank you for having me here. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for reaching out. You know, I'm I'm definitely um Wanting to have more people who are in the wellness field, it seems like um, self-care is becoming kind of a buzzword, trendy, but we've been needing it forever. We've been needing it our whole lives, but now we're just realizing we need it and realizing that there are many tools that we can use to live more fulfilled lives, to live, um, to get, as you said, unstuck. And... You know, it, it, when you said that, it reminded me of something that I heard. Um, I think it was Les Brown. He was given a motivational speech and he said he was walking by someone's house and there was a dog on the porch and the dog was just groaning, just, you know, and he said to the owner, what is wrong with the dog? And the owner says, well, there's a nail that's kind of sticking up out of the porch and he just likes to sit in that spot, even though it's going to stick him. (laughs) He just hasn't gotten uncomfortable enough to move. Yes, yes, yes. And, and so I think that sometimes when we're stuck in our ruts, we just haven't gotten uncomfortable enough to move. And I think sometimes it's also fear that we know what this is like. It's the devil. We know as people say, so we're afraid about the devil we don't know. We're afraid about the, the growth process, you know, and, and uh, one of the quotes that's one of my favorites about fear is everything you want is on the other side of fear. <laughs> yes, yes, I love it. And, and one more quote before I'm going to um, kind of ask you why you picked this topic. Um, Joseph Campbell says, the treasure you seek is in the cave that you're afraid to enter. So those quotes are two kind of ways to come at the same idea that to get to what you want, you actually have to face your fears. Yeah. So what made you choose this topic? I made, or I chose this topic because that's majority of our lives, right? It's that comfort zone that we're stuck into. And it's funny whenever I book this talk with you, maybe every day afterwards, Someone was always coming to me and like, well, they're scared of this, they're afraid of this. And someone would say, well, I don't know why. It's the same thing as that dog on a nail, right? And they don't know why they want to continue being stuck. And I told, I mentioned this to two people yesterday, I said, the issue is you're not sick and tired of being sick and tired. 
Mm. You're comfortable where you're at, but a lot of people, it's just that that's where you are. And I was one of those people. But over two years ago, I was stuck in a space of this cycle of whether it was addiction, whether it was just being that hard on yourself. It's having to break that comfort zone. So I chose this one because it is 80 to 85 percent of people's comfort zone in this world that keeps us from getting to that other side of fear. So I chose this because this is more common than people think or people know. So, yeah. I, I agree with you. You know, um, when I tell people what I do, some of the questions I get are, how did you get into that? Because I do a lot of things. But um, so I started off as a teacher and then there are people like, oh, I could never do that. I can never <laughs> teach kids. I don't have the patience. I don't have the." And then, you know, I became um, a spoken word artist. And then they say, oh, I can never do that. I can never stand up in front of people. You know, I, I'm terrified of being in front of people. And they say that, you know, many people, they're, um, what is it? One of the most famous fears is public speaking. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you're talking about performance, you're going beyond like a memorized speech. You're trying to actually engage the crowd and you're many times being extremely vulnerable because you have created something, uh, music or a poem or a piece of artwork or something that you're presenting to the public. And as Erica Badu would say, you know, um, be, you know, I'm an artist and I'm sensitive about my ish, you know, <laughs> be, kind to me, be kind to me. But I think that um, when a person is looking at their lives and realizing that they have talents, abilities, skills, maybe they're not being paid what they want, they actually have to make that conscious choice of, okay, here's my comfort zone. I know what it's like here. Insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. So I'm going to have to challenge myself. And I'm going to have to face my fear, whether it's the fear of public speaking, whether it's the fear of going to an interview, whether it's the fear of introducing myself to someone. I'm going to have to face my fear, whatever it is, to get to that next level. So what do you think is like the first step in someone facing their fear? Ooh, it has to be, I would say, one, it has to be one, you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. It has to be something that's uncomfortable that's going to make you go to the opposite end so you can say this spectrum over here is uncomfortable and this one's bad so i'd rather choose to be uncomfortable to go away from this rather than it happening to me allow me to sit there and be uncomfortable step forward so it's that it's acknowledging it first it's being willing to do it and then there's a commitment behind it so many of us can make choices but if we don't commit to it before we make that choice it's not going to last so I think that's one of the big steps when it comes down to fear. And something you said earlier, I want to speak on the fear with public speaking. They said it's equivalent to the fear of death. Mm, wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, so imagine that. We go through this world and you're fearful of death. Fear of public speaking is right next to that. That's how our insecurities within are when it comes down to that fear. And that's the fear that we carry. And it's like getting past that. So... My thing is acknowledge it, realize that what's going on, that you're super uncomfortable with it going this way. I'd much rather take a step forward to be uncomfortable in a way that I get to be, not say in control, but I get to manifest it in a different way, if that makes sense. That does make sense. And, and, and it's very interesting that you mentioned the fear of death because the last guest that I had on the show 
um, was named Hayes Harrison, and he's uh, like a financial consultant. And he was recommending um, a couple of books. One of the books that he recommended was called Outwitting the Devil, mm-hmm. and it's by Napoleon Hill. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the middle of reading. I think I'm in chapter three or something like that. But it's for the people who've never read it, I highly recommend it because it really does shake up your paradigms about a lot of things. But there's an interview going on between this man who wants to understand you know, how the devil operates and how he traps people and destroys their lives and the devil. And so the devil's saying that his biggest tool is fear and also people who don't think for themselves. But one reason people don't think for themselves is they're afraid of standing out. They're afraid of not being a part of a certain group of, of, you know, coming out of that um, majority rule where everybody's like, Oh, we're all the in crowd. We all agree with each other. Yay for us. And then they looking at the person that's the odd man out, like what's wrong with you, you know? Um, And so people are trained by their parents many times by schools, by churches. And and in, in this book, the devil's saying that schools and churches and parents are his best allies because they train children to be so fearful of doing anything that causes them to think for themselves. And um, that thinking for themselves is the, in a sense, the tool that keeps them from falling into bad behaviors, falling into mediocrity, falling into poverty, you know, falling into despair, because they can actually think their way out of all these things. And it's kind of the key to success. But going a little step further, I read this book um, years ago called The Evolution of God. And it was basically talking about how we have this innate need for spirituality within us. But the way we express it many times is trying to fit into a peer group. And once upon a time, you needed that peer group to survive. If you got cast out of the village, that was a death sentence because you couldn't do all the things that it took to uh, survive by yourself. And so many people have this, they still have this, in a sense, primitive mind that is so afraid of stepping outside the peer group because in a sense they think that's equivalent to death. That's equivalent to a social death and, and being, you know, kept away from the connections that bring them lights and love and affection. So you, you bringing up the fear of death. It made me think of all those things and, and gosh, you know, wow. <laughs> when we have to face up to something that's not death, but it's just public speaking or stepping out and kind of, maybe thinking for ourselves, you know, we could feel the fear as if we're dying. That's crazy, you know? Yeah. So even going further than that, you said, let's put it this way. For the most part, a lot of people don't know who they are mm-hmm. because coming up in where you said parents, you said school, you said church, think of this way. You're at home. So I have my family's from Jamaica, born here in Houston, Texas. And coming up, you have identity split because you're at the house I was told I couldn't speak well, couldn't write well, I couldn't read well, right? In speech classes, media classes, and everything. At the house, speaking with a Jamaican dialect. First getting to school, now I'm told I all these things I can't do. So when you feel that you know who you are at home, you're like, okay, I know who I am. Then you get sent from your parents' beliefs to a school with other children who don't know who they are because they have their parents' beliefs. So you're commingling everyone's beliefs into this one section here. But they're telling you, you got to go to school here. You got to go to here. You got to go to here. You go to school for the majority of the first portion of your life. You've been taught how to think. You've been taught what you need to know. You've been 
given history that someone else has given you. And when you're talking about the fear of breaking that, that circle, which you have, because you want to feel, which we all have this innate feeling of belonging. Mm -hmm. So you're going against everything, you know, it takes courage. So that's another thing when it comes to breaking fears, that courage within to say, I don't mind being that weird one out mm. because I know it's called what? Breaking the matrix, right? Ah, I yeah. know I don't belong here. This isn't who I want to be. I don't want to continue following this. And I could be one of those people or anyone. You ever heard of sheep and this other sheep just kind of rails off by itself and the shepherd's like, hey, get over here, get right, over right. here. And you're, and you're like, I don't want to go back over there and just runs right. off. And that's how I could be with that person. But it is... It's a beautiful thing when that one person decides to break that mold because you yourself will shed light within this world for other people who cannot break that mold. Because unfortunately, this here has been programmed for so long. So breaking that mold of that fear, it is huge. And I'm this, I'm, I'm glad we're having a discussion. I'm glad you brought that up. So I appreciate that. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm, I, I agree. Breaking the mold. That's, that's a whole nother topic. You know, I remember another motivational speaker. I don't know who it was. And he said, there is this set point that people think is reality. Yeah. And he mentioned the four minute mile. Everybody said it can't be done. It can't be done. It can't be done. And then somebody did it. Mm-hmm. And then right after that person did it, it was like five or six people that did it right <laughs> after that, because all of a sudden they're like, oh, it can be done. They just did it. Yeah. And I think that's why representation is so powerful. You know, when we have the first black ballerina, we have the first um, black vice president, we have the first black president, we have the first black owner of a business or a grocery store or whatever, you know, whatever ethnicity you are. When that first person does it, then the people who are behind the children, the youth, they can see a model that, okay, that person, I know they came up against opposition. I know they had fears. I know they had struggles, whatever, maybe money, whatever it was, but they succeeded. So yes. if I face my fear, then I could possibly be just that person, just like that person. Yeah. And I think that that also is a way that we are able to face our fears is that we're able to gather role models and see people who have succeeded, you know, in a way that we would want to emulate. And so we know it's possible for us. And so we can begin to change this from saying, hey, stay here with everybody else that's just <laughs> dealing with the status quo to no, let's rise above that one person that rose above. They're reaping the benefits of rising above and I want to be where they are. And so that, that we have that, that you know, motivation to move forward and to try something new. Oh, so before you jump to any other question, when you mentioned that it's like the, the self-belief, right? Right. And I believe the gentleman was Robert, um, was the first person in the mile. So like you said, there was one gentleman that was always trying. It might have been Robert that was first trying, trying and trying and trying because no one done it. He couldn't do it. The next person did it. It came in and beat it, right? So a lot of times we have that issue. We put our own limited beliefs on us because it's fear because we have not seen anyone else do it. So we compare ourselves outside of ourselves to someone who hasn't done it. And you're now putting in your mind, I can't do it. I can't do this, which prevents you from doing it. But as soon as you see someone else, you're like, oh, I got this. I got this. It's like, yeah, now could you now you have belief within yourself because it was fear that was stopping you. So I love that you bring this stuff up. <laughs> this, this is the type of talks I love having. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm going to bring up one more thing. And then I wanted to get into talking about, um, you know, kind of how you got started. Um mm-hmm. 
and, and your journey towards where you are and then your books. Um, I wanted to bring up the topic of, as you were saying, you know, facing that fear, but also when you see that person, that role model, and they have moved beyond, you know, the norm, yeah. you know, then it also gives you the idea of wait, well, okay, maybe I don't have to be normal. I think that sometimes we're given, we're afraid of our greatness. There's that quote, and I wish I had prepared it because I didn't think about it, but there's that quote, I think Nelson Mandela might've said it. It's not our frailties or our weaknesses that scare us. It's actually our greatness. And the quote goes something like, who are you to be great and wonderful and powerful? Who are you not to be? You know, and, and one thing that I have said before, um, when I used to start this podcast, I used to talk about a seed and how within a seed is the potential for that entire tree. That tree could grow to be 300 feet, but that potential is all in the seed, but it's not visible. The only thing that's visible is that tiny little seed. But once you put it into a nurturing environment, you give it water, you give it sun, you maybe even talk to it, you know, with the positive affirmations and you give it time, you know, time. Then as the seasons progress, it grows in its time. And there are times when it doesn't grow as much and it's shedding leaves. And there are times when it's growing. So I think also with facing our fears, we also have to have realistic expectations because you can face a fear. But if you're expecting yourself to jump up overnight and be the next big sensation, probably not going to happen. It could, but it's probably not. So you can't, when we're looking at role models, you can't compare yourself starting out with somebody who's reached the pinnacle. You know, um, there's so many people that say, oh, they always talk about I'm an overnight success. Yeah, it only took 28 years to get here. (laughs) You don't know when you're looking at them because they just seem to pop up on the scene all of a sudden. But many times there are years and years and years. I remember watching uh, Rick James's documentary, which I thought was fascinating. And he actually left the country to get his first big break because he could not seem to get any breaks in the state. And he actually had to go to, I think it was Canada, to get his first big break and get his first big hits and get his credits as a songwriter. And then he came back to America with those accolades in a sense. So sometimes you have to change your environment. Sometimes you have to say, okay, uh, it's not working for me here. I'm going to face my fears again. I'm going to pull myself out of this comfort zone again, and I'm going to move somewhere else. Um, But also just having those realistic expectations that it's going to take work. Even when I'm facing my fears, it's going to be a constant. um, It's not going to be a one and done. It's going to be a constant, you know, more fears are going to come up because as you go on that journey, there's more challenges, there's more obstacles. So you have to hit that first one and then there's another one, but you get stronger. Yes. Yes. As you go, you get stronger. Just like that tree is growing as it grows, it gets stronger. The, the, the trunk gets thicker, the branches get thicker. So as it's growing, it can weather more storms because it has deeper roots. It has a stronger base. It has stronger everything, you know? So as you're growing, it becomes easier to face those fears, you know, you've worked that muscle, that faith, that faith muscle. And now you're able to kind of move forward a little easier. So how did you start on your journey? How did you say, Hey, I want to be, you know, this person who's helping people come out of their ruts and kind of embracing their possibilities and facing their fears. Okay. So let me first start with this and say, Oh, I was uh, timid, uh, 
how can I say this? Timid, insecure, just lost, lost puppy. And what happened was a little over two years ago, it's 2019. I looked in the mirror and I couldn't recognize who I was. And this is my ex fiance at this time. After I got a mirror, I'm crying because I couldn't see myself. It's like seeing the demon's head. It's like literally seeing the other side of the ego. And went to my ex fiance, sat across from the couch where I said, I feel like I'm dying on the inside because mm. I didn't know how to do anything, just lost. Going through this process, I came across the book, The 5 a.m. Club. And she actually got me a book called The Stillness is Key by Ryan Holiday. So it's like slowing all this down because I was running, 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 ripping, ripping, ripping. And because I was in real estate and I was attempting to get to the next big thing, attempting to get to the next deal, the next contract, the next whatever it could possibly be. Always reaching for something successful outside of what myself because someone else told me that was success. And I was always reaching for that, right? Yeah. Which is a whole nother topic. But um, (laughs) we got to the process of now getting the book, The 5 a.m. Club. And it mm. gives you morning, like taking control of your morning. And I started taking control of my morning. And it's like, I want you to journal, I want you to meditate, I want you to read, I want you to work out. And I'm like, I ain't, I've never journaled before. No one told me how to handle my emotions. And started a process of journaling, went through an entire process of journaling and meditation. No one taught me how to meditate. I'm from a Jamaican household. We didn't meditate, right? Unless you was um, smoking something. Yeah, you, you meditated that way, right? <laughs> But no one taught me that. So going and diving. So I was given the tools, but I didn't know how. And I started mm-hmm. doing it over and over and over. I had a friend, Susan Ragsdale Cronin. She is the CEO or founder of Mary Jane Gardening Club because I was in California at the time when this was happening. I was in San Jose, California. And she has some capsules of cannabis and I was taking them and everything. So going through meditation, I'm going to go deeper. And because I'm in this space of despair, because I realized I was able to see what I didn't like on other than the mirror, what came forward was I had this out of body experience and I told my ex um, fiance, Corey, and I said, I think I found God. It's like, I was pulled out of my body and was able to see this stuff. After that, different things start happening. I was like, wow, I think I'm an addict. I was like, wow. But before that point, before I found God, because that was at my last point where I talking about fear of death, I was at the point to where before that happened, I contemplated suicide. That's, what, that's how far down I was. And then I had an out of body experience then I saw my addictive behavior and I shared first person I mumbled it to. And why, mind you, I'm crying when I said I didn't realize, I didn't see who myself was. I'm crying when I'm about to commit suicide. I'm crying, but now joy of crying when I said I feel like I found source energy and everything within self, right? Because this is slowing everything down and going in our well-being of self. And then I'm crying now because I'm seeing my addictive behavior. Every time I'm talking to court, it's crying, crying, crying. And men were told not to cry, right? Because we're mm. bottled up, suck it up, be tough. And mm. 2019, 2020, I probably cried the most I've cried in my life. Mm. It was just a lot. So going through this process of working on myself and this entire thing, in 2020, not long after I had the outer body experience, not after, not too long after I found my, um, came to realize of my addictions and everything, I had a 100-day challenge. I paid almost $6,000 for this 100-day this challenge in real estate. I paid almost $600,000 for something I didn't want to do that was wasn't passionate about. And I was in real estate for eight years. I love helping people find a home. I love doing the investing and seeing a home go from a property and fixing and making a home for somebody. I love that. But it wasn't my calling. And within this 100 days, it was two days of healing. And it helped me connect 
the vision that I received when I had the out-of-body experience of how can I make this real? Because still within the fear was telling me, you can't do this. You can't do this. But at two days showed me, oh my gosh, I can. Why not me? So that's what the same thing you said earlier is like, why not me? A lot of us, our fear tells us, it gives every reason why we're going to fail. And there's a book called Wake Up and Live by Dorothea, um, I forgot her last name, but it's, it's Wake Up and Live. And what it tells you is think as if it was impossible to fail, not think for every reason you're going to fail. So during that two-day process, went from there and I was like, just eye-opening and realized, oh my gosh, this is how this works. This is what's going on. It's like, it's in within your well-being. And a lot of us grow up without love. When I say without love, love mm. is different to other people. Yes. Love is, love is different to other people, right? You could have love, which is affection. This is what I learned throughout my coaching um, career. Love you can have with affection. Some you can have humility. Some you can have abuse. In the black culture, it's humility. We tear one another down and we laugh about it. We mm. cap. We, we, if you look on social media, there will be more likes about somebody fighting Somebody shooting somebody, someone talking down on somebody. These rap battles we're having where you're beating down upon one another is humility because guess where we learned that? In the household. So go ahead. Go ahead. So, oh, I, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I wanted to. Do uh, we got a, a viewer, Kathy Tatum says, Good afternoon. So good afternoon, Kathy. Um, and she's liking some of the stuff we're talking about. So I wanted to talk about that humility thing, you know, because a lot of us, um, you know, if we go back to slavery, yeah, yeah. if um, let's say the master came up to the mom and said, oh, your son, how old is he? He looks like a big, strong, you know, whatever, you know, um, the mother would many times talk down on her and said, oh, no, no, he's not. He, he, he doesn't. He's not really all that strong because they were afraid if too much light or too much uh, interest was put on that child or that young man or that young woman. Mm-hmm. It would work out badly for them. They might get sold, you know, they might get um, used as a buck or something would their status would change in a negative way. So the way to protect them was to, in a sense, put them down to make them seem like, oh, no, don't pay attention to him. Don't pay attention to him. He he doesn't have anything going on. There's nothing that you want to look at right there. You know, Mm -hmm. just just look somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that we have. kept that in our culture. And and even when we're talking about facing fears, there are parents and aunts and uncles and grandparents who are afraid of their child getting hurt by the world. And so they will try to toughen them up. They will try to say, don't trust anybody. You know, you can't depend on a man. That's one of the messages I got from my dad. Be independent. You can't depend on a man. Now my dad raised me with my mom. They were married, but still he raised me to be independent, not need a man. Um, so some, some men think that women, you must not have had a father figure. No, a lot of times it's the older people, the, the older women, yeah. the older men that are saying to young women, be independent, have your own, have your own bank account. Don't ever tell that man how much money you have. <laughs> Don't ever tell him. If you get some money from me, go hide it somewhere. You know, put it in your bra till you get home and then go hide it. Go hide it in one of your old shoes, you know, go get you a secret bank account. I mean, that is the kind of, of guidance we got because they were so afraid. They were trying to protect us. They really yeah. had good intentions. Yeah. They yeah. were trying to protect us and trying to say, I want you to be safe. 
I don't want you to get out there and get hurt, get taken advantage of. I want you to always have security, get you a good job. Don't no, no, no. Don't go into business. That's risky. Yeah, get you yeah. a good job with a good pension. Go work for the person for 50 years. They're going to give you a gold watch and a pension. <laughs> now that, that doesn't work now for most people, you know, no. it doesn't work now. So, you know, the things that we were told, a lot of them came out of fear and to actually get to where we need to get, we actually have to face the fear of disappointing mm -hmm. some of these people. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and face the fear of, of them feeling like we are now, you're too good for my advice. Now you think you know everything, you know, you got the yeah. big wishes on now, yeah. you know, and, and be like, no, it's, it's not that it's, it's that the world has changed. Yeah. And I also want to be a different person. I want to have these different experiences. So I want to open my own business. I want to go to college. I don't want to just get a job out of high school. You know, I want to travel, even though I know I'm going to places where it's not this community. I, I do want to travel. I want to do these different things. So sometimes in facing our fears, we also have to um, face being uh ostracized or disappointing our family because mm -hmm. it may not just be our fears that we're dealing with it may be their fears that mm -hmm. we're dealing with mm -hmm. that have been put on us mm -hmm. and um i was listening to this woman and i'm gonna get back to you um yeah, no i was listening to this woman and she said something really powerful this morning sometimes things just pop up on my feed youtube you know and i'm listening to affirmations and the affirmation stops and another video just starts and i don't even know what it is and then i just listen to it for a minute <laughs> To see what it's talking about. So that's what happened this morning because I'm listening to affirmations. And this woman said, um, there's some of you and you have a false belief that you're difficult to love. And it's because somebody growing up felt they were difficult to love and they projected that onto you. And you are so easy to love and you've been afraid your whole life. You've been afraid of, am I worthy enough? Am I good enough? Am I enough? Because you've had this idea that you're difficult to love. And I just want to tell you, you are not difficult to love. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Ooh, <laughs> well, that was a good message. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That makes me feel wonderful. <laughs> You know, and, and I just put that as, as a little blessing from the universe, a little nugget from the universe, you know, because we do have these fears of, am I good enough? Am I worthy yeah. enough? Um, am I enough? Men and women. And you see it all over social media. Yeah. You know, people like women have these high expectations. No man can meet them. And that some of that is fear talking. Yeah. And then right. women, you know, you know, have, have those things that they're saying. So it's, it's, there's just so much fear going around right now. And, and some people just need to like, just let all that stuff go and just say, yeah. okay, I'm not going to be walking every day in fear. I'm yeah, going what? to, I'm going to believe that what I want is possible. Yeah. And I'm going to move forward. Like you said, as if I cannot fail and yeah. I'm going to make the best decisions I can to ensure my success in every area. And I'm not going to have my guards up. I'm not going to be defensive. I'm not going to be operating out of suspicion. I'm going to be operating in faith. Yes. No. Yes. So, well, what you said a while ago is that's probably the most challenging thing is letting go, surrendering, because you're so used to grasping because we were taught to live in this world of how it's supposed to be. Like you're grasping to it. So for you to say, just let it all go and don't live in fear, because it said there's only two places we can live. We can live out of love 
or we can live out of fear. You can't live in both at the same time. So it's either any choice you make. The I think his name Neil. I don't remember his last name. Neil, maybe Donald. Don't don't quote me on that. But Neil, um, he says, any choice that you make, ask, is this out of love mm. or is this out of fear? Because if it's out of fear, more than likely, what's going to happen is a choice that you make out of fear is going to end badly. So, and another thing you talk about fear is, and he's saying the 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 young black women, as I can speak for black men, since I was told as a child, you have two strikes against you already. You're yeah. black and you're a male. Don't give them reason to give you the third strike. So guess what happens? It's like if you have a drug dealer, they're always having their, their eyes looking around and make sure nobody's coming at them. Being black, a male in America, there's an X on the back. So guess what you're thinking? You're like everyone's out to get me. I am the bottom of the barrel. I'm actually below the bottom of the barrel because this is what I've been taught. This is the fear that has been put into my mind. So guess what we do? We walk around fearing. And that's the issue because it's been programmed to us for many years, which is it's right to be programmed because our parents are only, like you said, a good intention behind it. Our parents can only teach us what they were taught from their parents, from their parents, from their parents. But not long ago, there was slavery. So where do you think we're getting it from? So when we're talking about as of love, which is the opposite end of fear, we're talking about love when we're saying in the household, some of us didn't receive affection because love was ripped from us. Yeah. So my parents can't teach me how to properly love because their parents can teach them because their parents can teach because their parents can teach why because they were beaten they were broken down they were split apart to where they don't know where they come from so how can someone who's been torn from love teach me love they can't they can teach me fear very true I want to I want to piggyback on that because you know recently you know be be careful <laughs> when you start asking for growth because. I've been really wanting to grow my business. And, and someone said, I don't know who, who, it's, who it was. When you want to grow your business, you're actually asking to grow yourself because yeah. everything comes out of you. So you yeah. have to become more. Yeah. You have to become better. You have to become wiser. You have to become stronger. You have to become more. Yeah. And so I've been having these dreams lately. I mean, I mean, I've been having dreams about my mama who's dead, my daddy yeah. who's dead. You know, I've been having all these dreams about things that happened when I was young and I didn't realize the significance behind them. I didn't realize things that were said to me that had actually shaped mindsets. I didn't realize it. And then I hear it as an adult and I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay. 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 I got to deal with that. I got to deal with that. And then also this idea you were talking about, about how were you loved? Some people grew up and I saw this quote somewhere. Did the person that you're trying to date or marry, did they grow up in a struggle survival mentality or did they grow up in a, in an abundance, um, live my best life mentality? Yeah. Yeah. Because if they grew up with a struggle mindset that everything's supposed to be a struggle and if you get too much, it's going to be taken away from you, you know, you're going to have a lot of problems if you grew up in an abundance mindset because they are coming from a whole different way of looking at things and they're coming from a lot of fear. Yeah. And every step that you take forward, they're afraid they're going to lose the little that they got because you're taking a risk. Yeah. Because they don't have an abundance mindset. They have a scarcity mindset. And so you have to be very careful with, you know, who you're partnering yourself up with and, and kind of examine yourself and say, which one am I in? 
Because if I'm in that scarcity mindset, I'm already setting myself up to be operating out of fear, to be limiting myself in so many ways, the way I present myself, everything, you know, so that's something that people can, can kind of keep in mind and just realizing how much mindset affects us. It affects everything in your life. It affects the way you see the world. And going back to what you said about two strikes. Yeah. 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 I was told when I was growing up, you got three strikes against you. You're black. Okay. You're a woman. Mm -hmm. All right. You're a minority woman. Right. And so you have to, um, be twice as good to be ha considered half as good. Yeah. That was yeah. something I was always, again, going back to, you know, am I enough? That idea that I have to be twice as good. Well, am I twice as good as this next person, this white person? Am I twice yeah, as yeah. good? Am I twice as intelligent? As I, am I twice as disciplined? Am I twice as effective, twice as successful if I've got to do that? And then going into being your natural self, I just went natural during quarantine. Cut all my hair off in three stages and went natural. Why did it take me so long? Because I thought about it. Thought about it for years and years and years. What took me so long? Fear mm -hmm. that this was not going to be seen as professional, that this was going to, people were going to, I was going to meet people and they were going to automatically have assumptions about me because my hair wasn't straightened. They were automatically going to put barriers up about me. They were automatically going to, in a sense, lower my rating. Yeah, yeah. And I, there came a point in time when I said, you know what? I feel like I'm holding myself back. Because I feel like I cannot be my full authentic self if I can't even have my natural hair. <laughs> but it was just very symbolic to say I'm going to be my full authentic self and I'm going to face the fear and I'm going to believe that the universe is going to make a way, that God is going to make a way, that my, my skills, my talents, my abilities, my personality, my purpose, all of that is going to outshine these curlies that are on the top of my head. And that is not going to be a barrier. Well, let me say congratulations for choosing you. Thank that's, you. That's huge. And what do you think? I mean, coming as a man who's got who's got locks. Yeah. Is yeah. that something ever that you had to face a fear of of how are people going to perceive me because of this hairstyle that I've chosen to wear? So there's at some point it it didn't had never had to do with my hair. I was always, I have a brother that's two years, two days older than me, right? And I was placed in his shadow. So I was always running away from his shadow. So if he had long hair, I cut my hair. If he cut his hair, I grew my hair. So in high school, I had, I had braids and they're like down to like my arm down here. And one of the coaches said in order to play, new coach came in my senior year. He's like, in order to play basketball, you got to cut your hair. And I'm like, I'm not cutting my hair for anyone. Ah, gotcha. And my, one of my oldest brothers went through the same thing when he was in football. A new coach came and said, you got to cut it here. He said, he's not cutting his hair for anyone. And, and I think it was instilled in us from my father. Because when my father came to the States, he went for engineering. and He went for a company to go work. And they told him, you cut your hair because he had locks as well, Rastafari. Told him, cut his hair. They'll give him the job. My father cut his hair. They didn't give him the job. Ooh. So he's, yeah, yeah. So what, it hurt, right? It hurt, right? Yes. So what he did was he didn't get that job and he grew his hair now. So my hair is down past my butt now because I had it for 14 years. And by the way, after I got out of high school, I cut my hair off and everyone was like, you could have just cut it your senior year. I'm like, no, I'm doing it on my terms. No one else is going to tell me 
that I had to cut my hair. So my hair wasn't an issue. I was, I think it was instilled with me was seeing my father go to his place and say he will never cut his hair for anyone. So I looked and said, I will never cut my hair for anyone else. I would never feel shameful of my hair. I probably get more compliments on my hair now. But sometimes when I go to, now I have, I have my tattoos of on my forearm. Now, even earlier today, I went to a network meeting and that old critter mind, that old version of me would say, well, you need to wear long sleeve because they'll be so concerned about you. And I said, I said, who am I trying to impress? Yeah. If they can't accept me for who I am, why? Because I set me for who I am. And if they can't accept that, then I don't need to be in the room with them. I don't need to be doing business with them. So I went there and I'll share another one. You know, you know how you're not supposed to wear a black shirt under a white shirt? Uh, <laughs> so I had a long sleeve black shirt on. And it's a three button down, like it just comes three down. And then I had a white shirt with a V-neck and you can see the black three buttons up. You can see the black coming through the shirt. And I looked in the mirror and said, oh, I need to go change. And I stopped and said, who are you wearing the shirt for? I'm like, who are you wearing this for? Are you wearing for everybody else or are you wearing for yourself? And in my mind, I said and said, I'm going to go do this just so I can make sure I'm going against that fear and no one else's opinion matters to me because if I decide to live my life because someone else's opinion, I'm not accepting myself. So I'm not being my true self. So it does take some courage. And every other time something pops up, like you said, fear, it is a book called The Gift of Fear by Davin D. Becker. It was built or written, I think, like early 90s. But something you said earlier, we grow past it. There's this dog. He has an example or analogy of a dog. And you know, those, those wire fences, the shock collars. So he said, what happens when this dog gets closer and closer to the parameter, it starts doing this little buzz. And it doesn't just happen to me like a joke. It builds. So it gets this little buzz. So it's like it stops there because if it goes a little bit more, it hurts. So what happens is the next day that dog comes right back to where its spot started. And he feels that, that resistance, that, that, that um shock a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he just steps a little bit closer to that parameter. I, mean, I can't see my hand. Steps closer to that parameter. Mm-hmm. Then he stops there. The next day comes back. It's closer and closer. And then finally, he's at the line right teetering on everybody it's, it's hurting it's uncomfortable mm-hmm. but what happens is eventually we break through that uncomfort because that fear we break through it there's no more just like you said on the other side of fear is everything that you want there is yeah. no more resistance here that's keeping you but what happens is when you get past this barrier there's another barrier that comes and all you're doing is building so any and everything that we've been through in this life has been preparing for us to get to this this barrier to continue breaking through it so with my hair as natural as it came, because I've been in mostly, majority of my adult life, I've been more of an entrepreneur. So what people thought of me with my hair, what people thought of me because of my skin color, I looked and said, if you don't want to do business with me because of my skin color, that's your problem. That's not mine. And But don't get me wrong, because we were told that we had that strike against us because we're black, we're minority, right? There's three strikes now for me now. Um, <laughs> but I was told this too. But um. Because we have that, we are trying, attempting to do more than the next person. But what happens is we are setting this bar so high and we're saying, I have to be here, presentable here. When the other person, they have to do bare minimum where we have to do all this work. We are setting the bar so high where there's a gap between of our reality to what we expect of ourselves. So mm-hmm. if we break that, that down and allow ourselves to feel, realize that we belong, like even today, I'm walking into the place and like, I belong here. No one can tell me I don't belong here because guess what? Only person that could tell you you don't belong somewhere is you. Your insecurity, which is the fear telling you, I don't belong here. 
I, I can't be here because these people have this status. These people are millionaires. These people are billionaires. It's like, I have a seat at the table. And guess what? This seat is comfortable. Because yeah. if you feel that it isn't, if you feel that it's not comfortable, it's because it's your fear that's within telling you you don't belong here. But really, just like we said earlier, act as if it's impossible, it, it, impossible to fail. So if you're sitting in that seat and you're feeling comfortable in that seat, no one could tell you that seat's not yours. Yeah. And I'm going to say hi to another person, uh, Vanessa Latrice, who's watching us. So um, Shonda Rhimes, she um, was talking about exactly what you said. She said when she was just a small little nobody, she was walking into these rooms with these big mega producers who had, you know, a whole long list of credits and she had nothing. But she said, you have to act as if you're the next big thing. You have to act as if you have every right to be in that room just like them, because otherwise they won't take you seriously. They'll just not even talk to you. So you have to come across with that confidence because um, she was like, if you don't, then you're wasting your time being there, you know, because people people treat you many times the way that you project that you're supposed to be treated. And so um, it's, it's all about presentation sometimes. You know, and um, I wanted to talk about authenticity. That is a fear in itself altogether, whether you, no matter what your race is, no matter what your age is, no matter what your gender is, just am I going to be accepted? Should I change? Should I adapt? Should I water down? Should I be less than? You know, I have a poem that I wrote called The Tightrope. And Are it's, you going to read it for us? Huh? I, I, if I had, if I had known that we were going to go this way, I would, I would have had it prepped. But right now, I don't have it memorized. But basically, it's in my book, and it talks about how you know if you're if you're too if you smile, that could be flirtatious, and if you don't smile, then you're stuck up. You know, it's like you're walking this. No matter what you do, it could be considered too much or not enough. You know, you're always walking this tightrope, and you know, how can you ever feel confident? You just have to kind of just realize that you're yeah. never going to please everybody. Yeah. And if I'm never going to please everybody, then I just need to be myself. I just need to relax, make the best decision I can at the time, face my fears, walk in my purpose and believe that everything else is going to get smoothed along. And, you know, I remember hearing somebody say, stop thinking that you need to figure it out because when you plant a seed, you don't know how that seed is going to grow. You don't know when it's going to grow. You just know that you planted it and you're doing what, what it takes on your end. You're putting the water in, you know, you're making sure that it's in a good area. You prepared the ground. You've done everything you can do. Now you just put in the work water, water. Let me pull the weed, water. Let me pull the weed. Let me water. Let me pull the weed. You know what I'm saying? And then it will grow in its time. But the same thing with ourselves, if we've done everything we can to be the person that the best person we can be right now, then let me present that best person. And everything that comes with that, I'm going to let God take care of it. I'm going to let the universe take care of it. I'm just going to be my authentic self. I'm going to walk in my purpose. And I'm going to believe that everything, just like that plant is going to come up and sprout, that everything in my life is going to flourish. And um, I want to talk about your book, but before we do that, talking about being authentic, I wrote a poetry prose memoir. It's called Plenty of Guppies and Other Dating Misadventures. It's about the last seven years of my life. Now, when you write a memoir, it's like, am I going to tell everything? Am I going to tell the truth? Yeah. And, you know, of course, I had to say, okay, I'm going to tell. Well, of course, you can't tell everything, but yeah. I'm going to tell the truth. 
And I know that there's going to be some people that are going to be offended. Some people that are now I kept everybody's name out of it. Basically, you know what I'm saying? It's about me and everybody has nicknames and monikers, you know what I'm saying? Um, but it's about my journey to authenticity, to self-fulfillment. Where did, how did I get from this? As you were saying, this person who was broken, it begins the day I got divorced to this person who's trying to live her best life and all the confidence building that went in that and all of the unlearning of negative programming that went into that and all of the people that came along that helped me face my fears because I didn't do it by myself. Mm-hmm. You know, the mentors, the the opportunities that were given to me, the challenges that I faced, you know, but um, being authentic because I put a whole lot of stuff out there, you know, and then, then there's that fear of, okay, people are going to think this, people are going to think this, but then it came a point in time where I was like, people can think that anyway, no matter whether I write this book or not, me walking down the street, there could be 20 people to see me and all 20 have a different opinion. And I will never even see those people again. Yeah. And I cannot control what people think. I think it was Maya Angelou or somebody that said, what people think of you is none of your business. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's another one that says, what people think of you is not your burden to carry. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, go ahead. No, I was going to, yeah, I, I like that. I like that. So, so I wanted to tell us about um, your book and your planner and kind of what was the journey to deciding you wanted to release a guided journal. So you told us about how journaling was part of you getting back to when you looked at yourself in the mirror and you didn't yeah. recognize yourself yeah. and you're yeah. like, okay something's wrong here. I feel like I need to, I need to get to a place where I recognize myself and I'm, I'm not crying. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I'm not suicidal and I'm not addicted. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm healed. Yeah. I'm transforming. I'm on the process of getting to where I want to be. And seems like journaling was part of that process for you. And meditation was part of that process for you. So during that process, well, let me say those two days of healing helped tremendously retying in the vision that I received. And I want to make sure and get that gentleman's name, Kevin Ward, a real estate coach. And he's the one that helped me in the process of those two days. But the person you see today is not the person I was two days. I was overweight. Didn't know I was out of shape. Didn't realize it. And that's how I was. I had color context in mind because I saw my brother and my aunt wear this. And what happened was I was a shy timid kid to kid. Because when I was told I couldn't speak well, I couldn't write well, I couldn't read well, couldn't speech class. I failed the first grade. Um, I was able to go to uh, school. The only second through third grade, or I have to, I have this entire thing about a pencil, like a trigger about a pencil. Now I only write with pens. Um, in the second time in first grade, in this remedial class, the teachers were doing like this little quiz. It's like spell cat or whatever. And this is the first thing I knew. I was like sure of the first thing so i write it down and i drop my pencil fast and the teacher come by and tap me on the shoulder and says don't drop your pencil so fast because you make everyone else feel stupid so in my head i'm in this class full of stupid people so what does that make me if i'm in the class full of stupid people that makes me stupid so my entire life i've been living in in insecurity because i always felt that i was never enough i always felt that i was stupid i always felt that i couldn't speak well i always felt that i couldn't read well so I carried it throughout my entire life of this process. So journaling, what happens when we don't realize that we don't work on our emotions. We don't know how to face our emotions. So there's a disconnection there. So when you come back home to self and you realize that you, your intuition, because we're stuck here, 
We have those 50 to 70,000 thoughts and it's always fear-based. It's always doubts. It's always insecurities. But when we come back to this intuition, which is your feminine energy, as men, we're ripped away from that. It's like toughen up, suck it up. So journaling helped me get to that space. And there's something that Abraham Lincoln used to do. And he used to write a letter to his general. Talk, what we do today, we see people on Twitter, you see people on Instagram trolling people. He wrote this nasty letter to his general, folded up, put it up. But instead of him sending it out there, he put it in his drawer. Because what happens? You send that energy out there. What you give in this world is what you're going to get. So he sent it out there. So journaling, going through the process of that, of what I took from what I learned through the process of journaling, I put it in that journal. It's a 66-day journal. Why 66 days? They say in Atomic um, Habits as well as the 5 a.m. club. 21 days to make or break a habit, right? It says 66 days to make it automatic. Mm. That means... Whatever pants leg you put in first, you always do the same. If you switch it up, you might fall over because you're tricking the brain. You brush your teeth without thinking about it. You put your shoes, you tie your shoes without looking, without thinking about it. You get in the car, you don't have to think about how to drive. 40 to 60% of our choices in a day is based on habits. So 40, 60% of our choices based on habit. Think about how everyone is. It's not willing to go against the fear, living an unconscious life by choosing whatever they're doing unconsciously, subconsciously. And you're just doing it based on that. Majority of our life is based on habits. So the journal, there's prompts in that journal that help you come from a negative aspect to a positive aspect, from a space of not being in um, manifesting of controlling with God, source, energy, whatever everyone uses a label as, without being in that space is helping you manifest and create. Now you are part of creation, co-creating. And then also what you ask, what you give. So it's a 66 day challenge for the journal that takes you from what is known as my hell here on earth to my heaven here on earth. So that's what provided me for that journal. And then I put it in there and say, do not start this journal until you are committed for the next 66 days. Because why? With the 5 a.m. club, it tells you. We're doing this for 66 days over and over. Now at 5 o'clock. Now, why am I waking up at 5 o'clock? Oh, I've been doing it for 100, 200, 300 days. Why am I working out every day? Oh, because I've been doing it for 100, 200 days. Why am I reading? Oh, because I've been doing it. And a lot of people, we look and say, and this hurt my this hurt my heart. This is when I was in college, and someone said, "Mind you, I'm college dropout." <laughs> um, when I was in there, a young man says, "Oh, you know, you want to know how to hide money from black people?" I was like, "What?" Put said, it in a book. In the book, and I was like, mm-hmm. "What?" Yeah, yeah, and I was like, "That's how hurtful it is." But what we don't realize is that. Sometimes not what you know is who you know, right? So you have that mentorship. If you take a book and the right books, that is a mentor to you because someone else has been ahead of you and they're showing you how to get to the next phase of doing it, right? So when we're talking about the quotes and everything within this book, we're getting it for someone who has already been upon a longer on their journey. So the that's just going to fall into the planner now. So the journal is 66 day challenge. And it just guides you through the process of how to journal to open yourself up a little bit more because we don't know how to work on this. We don't know how to work into the space, especially if it comes down to where you have not done the work. So it's guiding you from the beginning to get to a space of love, peace, happiness, success, right? And then the planner, that is the guide. It says the guide to love, peace, happiness, success. So there's certain things in there where we do a check mark on something that we're, we're creating, right? It releases endorphins which is our happy, go lucky, feel great, right? So it's releasing these endorphins when we're checking these off. And in the planner, there's 
places for you to check. There's things, there's tasks that's telling that you could do every day. And it's going to ask certain questions that we don't ask ourselves. There's prompts in there that we do not ask ourselves. And for you to do that, you stick with that every day. You're going to start seeing your attitude change. You're going to start seeing your mindset shift. And when the mind starts shifting, it's going to start awakening something else within you. And now you're not going to be in that, that sheep herd. You're going to be that one that's going outside the box and wearing off. You're going to be looking back like, I can't believe I was living like that. I can't believe I was yeah. living to that place. Right. So, and the reason why I put those contexts in, because I saw my, my brother and my aunt do it, is because what happened was ego took over. And because that everyone told or what I believed, everyone told that child he was stupid. He was less than. So guess what? Ego put context in, changed completely. I don't have to worry about it. So it killed that little child. And coming back to a pace of authentic, authentic, being authentic to self, it's being able to be that child again. I'll be in the supermarket with my headphones and dancing and people looking at me crazy and being mad at my, look, if you mad, that's on you. I'm enjoying my life. <laughs> Leave me, let me get my stuff. <laughs> but yeah. that's how it is. So now it's like, if you're able to accept yourself and go into the space of doing that, it doesn't matter what other people think. And this is what I've been shown throughout the process. Just the same thing that you said. I didn't do this by myself. Right. I got it. I received help. And one of the hardest things to do, which is fear-based, is asking for help. Yes. That is fear-based. And I'm dead honest. I asked my mentor. I said, I've never had to ask anybody for help. It's always been me, 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 me. And, I, and he said, how do you, he said, how do you think you ask for help? How do you think you get better? And I was like, I don't know. He said, start asking. And I was like, well, that's easy said than done. But start asking those small things. Right. So small things, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And people, there are people in the world that want to help you. But when you're in a space of despair or anger or frustration or just depression, you feel the world's against you. You feel that no one's there for you. But there are people in this world, when you be authentic and share, like, I'm not okay. I don't feel good. There's someone that's going to be there for you. But it's fear that stops us from going beyond that point. But being authentic, it does take time to get there. It does. Oh, yeah. And, and it's baby steps. You know, um, I always tell people th my whole logo, if you see right there on the, on the little screen, Zenergy. Yeah. Um, so Zenergy is a word I made up. It means the urge for more peace and fulfillment in life. I believe that everybody has that urge. They're trying to fulfill, you know, that desire for peace and fulfillment. And you see the butterfly hovering over water and the butterfly. Think of how tiny the butterfly is and the fact that it can make ripples just yes, from the yes. movement of its wings. So we, we have the butterfly effect, that whole idea that small changes can make big results. And so the whole idea behind this podcast is little tweaks. It doesn't take, it does not take a massive change to change somebody's life. No, It could be, like you said, getting up at 5 a.m. in the morning and journaling. Just that one thing, that one thing could change somebody's life. No. Meditating once a week. One thing could change somebody's life, you know, um, drinking more water. You know, I mean, I mean, there's so many little tiny things that could literally transform your life. And, and people say, you know, how did you get to where you are? And, you know, I say, hey, you want to know the whole story? Here you go. You know, <laughs> exactly. You know, it's an easy read. It's fun read. It's crazy read. It's all kind of stuff. But first thing I did was say, OK, I'm stressed. Yeah. What do I have that I can use to get rid of stress? I can write. Yeah. And then once writing wasn't enough for me. Well, maybe I can perform and I can interact with the crowd. And then when that wasn't enough for me, then I started creating shows, comedy, music, and poetry. Yeah. Then when that got shut down, you got you to gotta pivot, right? You got to pivot. Here's the podcast. 
you know, and now I'm back to do it all of it. But, you know, just taking whatever step is right in front of you with whatever you have right in front of you and, mm-hmm. and using that and then facing your fears. Every time I stepped out, there was a fear to face. Ooh, getting in front of people. Oh my God, I'm gonna share my poetry. Oh my God. You know, and then podcast. I don't know what I'm doing. Let me take a class. I don't know how I'm gonna look on camera. I don't know what they're going to think or anybody going to watch anybody going to listen, you know, all those fears. Yeah, yeah. And when you face the fears, you just never know what's going to happen. You know, you, you face the fear to put a book out there and then you just never know what's going to happen. It's so wonderful when you put a book out there, people buy it and then they, you know, email you or for, in my case, they come on the podcast or they see me out vending. I got your book, you know, and this is what it did for me. I'm going to show you. This was a book that a lady bought for me. She tabbed it. (laughs) She said, these are all my reactions. So orange are my favorite poems. Blue is what made me mad. Pink is what made me laugh. Tickle me pink. Then yellow. Those are things that I, um, I knew, but I never heard anybody else say the green were things that I learned, you know? And she was like, I wanted you to have the book and I wanted you to see all my reactions. That's beautiful. And and she's like, I'm gonna buy another one. I'm gonna buy a clean copy, but now you got all my reactions. (laughs) So I thought that was pretty amazing, but, um, I wanted you to tell people where they can find you. It's kind of scrolling across the screen for those that'll see it on the replay. Um, or see it on YouTube later, but for people who aren't watching us um, and for the podcast later, um, give them your name again and where they can find you. It's Simeon B. Toria, and you can find me at livelifecommunity.com or on Instagram, live underscore life underscore community. And every Wednesday, we have a coaching call on Clubhouse, just giving free game. And the same kind of talk we're having here is kind of providing more people because once again, I didn't get here without help. I'm providing for those who are ready for help. And it's one thing you said earlier is that some people aren't ready for it. It's when you're doing this type of work, you're a mirror. And whenever people are ready to look into that mirror, then they're ready for it. So yeah. Very true. Very true. And sometimes you, you can think you're ready and then you get in the process and you're like, oh, this is more than I bargained for. But, but then you have that choice, as you said, fear or love, you know? Yeah. Fear or love? Are you going to face that fear? Are you going to face that feeling of being overwhelmed and breathe through it and surrender to the process and just let it, you know, let it go? Or are you going to back back into your rut, you know, and go back where your comfort zone is safe? So I want to thank you for joining me uh, for Zenergy. And for people who are listening, I would love for you to review, to subscribe, to like, to share um, the podcast Zenergy. It's on 25 different platforms and also to get the books. So I have a guided journal. I also have my poetry prose memoir. And I would definitely encourage you to go get his because I am looking at, at getting that journal. That sounds amazing. I would think of when I get 66 days that I can devote to it. <laughs> and also the planner. You know, the planner sounds amazing. So I want to um, look into that too. But thank you so much for being on here with us. And may you walk in Zenergy. Zenashe, a newly divorced 43-year-old Southern woman, wanted a fresh start. She'd heard there were plenty of fish to choose from in the modern dating pond. What she discovered were plenty of guppies, exactly 101 of them. The result, a provocative, transparent, raw, and delightfully uncensored account of her experiences with the 101 men she encountered on her journey to find the one.
and plenty of guppies, Zen spills all the tea on dating psychology, relationships, and self-discovery, while giving readers a rare glimpse into the life of an award-winning artist and best-selling author. The book is an enlightening narrative that explores gender roles and identity outside of societal expectations. Zen has written a refreshingly mature modern-day epic of online dating, layering her personal story with erotic poetic verses and passionate prose that frame her journey toward rebuilding a life as a single woman and adjusting to both an empty nest and boomeranging children. 